Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. We're so glad that you're here. Why don't you turn to the person on your right and say, glad you're here. Why don't you tell the person on your left, I'm still praying about it. I'm not sure if I'm glad that you are here. You grab your Bible, turn to the book of James. It's been an amazing three weeks for the Jones family, three Sundays ago. We did our usual Sunday routine, went home after lunch, laid down on the couch for an epic nap. That's what I like to do, uh, but I have two children, a uh, seven-year-old almost and a 10-year-old almost, and so I fall asleep for about five minutes, and then one of them is heavy breathing on my face. <sighs> Dad, can I play your phone? Dad, I need a snack. You know, and you want to be like, you're almost grown, you know, get your own phone. Go get a job. Go get a job. We spend Sunday together as we normally do Sunday night. Amanda starts feeling some contractions going on. And uh, so she whips out her trusty iPhone, starts tracking them a little bit. And they're pretty steady, but uh, they kind of fade away around midnight and at four o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up and she says, it's time to go. I'm like, it's time to go. We get the kids around, drop them off at a friend's house and we head to the hospital and at 4.44 on October 19th, it's a Monday, our new little girl, Willa Rose Jones was born. I brought a picture with me. There she is. Uh, she is a sweetie. You know, it's been a long time since we had one of these in our house. We put quite a big gap in between our children, and it's both harder and better than I remember. Uh, her favorite time to spend with dad is from about 11 at night to about 3.30 in the morning. So today's going to be really short because I need one of those epic naps. Uh, but we're so excited to have her back. She's lovely and beautiful, and we appreciate your love and support and prayers uh, for her and uh, for us. So James chapter one is where we are today. We've been making our way through this beautiful and powerful and sometimes very harsh book. We've talked about trials. We've talked about wisdom. We've talked about wealth. We've talked about the crown of life. We've talked about sin and temptation. We've talked about the father as the father of lights. We've talked about being slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to hear, and we've talked about being doers of the word, and today we are going to talk about the self-inflicted danger of hypocrisy. If you wanted to write something down, it would be a good place to start. The self-inflicted danger of hypocrisy. You know, in our culture, we have zero tolerance for hypocrisy, for anybody pretending to be more than they are. Even right now, I don't know if you're paying attention to the political cycle. I can't tell if I am interested in it or I totally hate it. Kind of, I think, both at the same time. One of the political candidates actually got busted recently for exaggerating one of his achievements, and he is taking a brutal beating. Because in our culture, it doesn't matter whether it's religious, political, uh, or something else, we do not tolerate hypocrisy. In fact, if you've had a friend or a family member that has been hesitant about coming to faith in Christ, hypocrisy might have been their number one reason uh, for dragging their feet. We don't tolerate it. 
And usually when we talk about hypocrisy, we, we talk about it in the sense of, uh, of how it affects other people. We don't want to be hypocrites because uh, it's an obstacle for other people uh, believing in Jesus. But today I want to talk about the damage that hypocrisy does to us. That might be a great question for you just to consider as you leave this morning is what has my hypocrisy done to me? A hypocrite is someone who intentionally gives off an impression that their life cannot back up. How do we fall into hypocrisy? Well, in every room that you enter, whether consciously or subconsciously, if you are a human being like the rest of us, you are sizing up the room. And you are evaluating everybody in that room. So when you walk into work, you know what the order is. You know who's at a level 10. Those guys and gals have an amazing education. They've been there for a long time. They're super smart. They're super successful. They make the sales. Everybody loves them. The bosses consult them on decisions. They are level 10. And then there's the level one people. And we won't mention them today. Of course, we're not level one people. We're somewhere in between 10 and one. And you rank yourself appropriately. It can happen at work. It can happen at your kid's school. Your kid's school is like a shark tank with chum in the water of ranking systems. Who's the 10 at your children's school? It's the parents who know what's going on. Have you ever met these parents? Like it's day one, they have a kindergartner and somehow they've already worked their way all the way in to the inner sanctum. And you wanna be like, our kids are the same age. I just turned in the enrollment form yesterday, but somehow you're the, the, the homecoming queen of this elementary school. It's the people who have been there the longest. It's people who know what's going on. The principal knows them by name and not because their kid is in the office all the time. They're pretty. They're successful. They drop their kids off in the nice cars. They're level 10 and then level 1. And you're somewhere in between trying to figure it out. That happens in your friend circle. That happens even among your family. That happens in your neighborhood. And whenever you rank yourself... A hypocrite is somebody that says, I'm probably a seven. I'm going to give everybody the impression that I'm a 10. I'm going to let everybody believe that I am more than I really am. Another word for hypocrite that we used in the early 90s, that was my heyday, that was when I was peaking in life, is poser. Does anybody remember saying the word poser? It's a fantastic word. Let's bring it back. I feel like today... God's given us momentum to bring the word poser back. It's fantastic. Um, What's a poser do? A poser poses. I was doing a wedding a couple of weeks ago and was talking with the photographer before the wedding started. And she said, you know, you're the minister. Do you have any special requests? Do you have anything that I need to know? And I'm like, I don't like pictures from the side. It's not my best look, you know. So if, 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 if you can remember, front on is better. I mean... I don't want these people to look back at their wedding album one day and go, man, what was the matter with your preacher? He was messed up. He had a jacked up face. So front on (laughs) is what I would prefer. And being a hypocrite is somebody who poses and gives people the impression that you have no bad side. That your best side is your only side. That's what a hypocrite does. Over inflates Our reputation, our impression, pretends that we have no bad angles, that our good angles are our only angles. 
And it does do damage to other people, but it's also doing damage to us. A couple of different types of hypocrites that we find in the scripture. We find the vocal hypocrite. This is Peter in Mark chapter 14. Jesus has just told the disciples, listen, all of you are going to scatter. And Peter steps up and vocalizes his internal thoughts, which is all of these other guys, this is literally what he says, all of these others may fall away, but I won't fall away. And then he goes on to say, Jesus, I'd even go to death with you if that's what was necessary. But he was a vocal hypocrite. He meant it, but he was giving off an impression that his life couldn't back up because with just in a few hours, he's pretending that he doesn't even know Jesus, denying that they've even ever met or ever spent time together. There's the visible hypocrite. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter six when he tells us that we shouldn't practice our righteousness just to be seen by other people. This is really a tempting thing at, at church. Years ago when uh, Jackson was little, uh, we were going to a church and they had some parking issues. They didn't have enough parking spaces for all the people. And so they asked people out of the kindness of their hearts to park really, really, really far away in the most far away spaces so that the guests could have the best spaces. And so we were trying to be good soldiers and, and, and we tried to do that. The problem was Annabeth was just an infant and Jackson was about three years old. And still to this day, if you go and try to pick him up over in the kids ministry, he looks really wiry, but he's made of Solid brick. It's like God opened up his brain, poured concrete in. That's what he's made of and has been since day one. He never weighed 30 pounds. He just went from birth to like 100 pounds, <laughs> just all jammed together. And, and so I would have to carry him through the parking lot while Amanda's on the so, uh, the, the pushing the stroller. So I would hand her my Bible. And back in the day, I had a lot bigger Bible than this. And so she'd put it in the stroller. And then when we would get to the, the edge of the church to, to the doors, I would say to her, hey, can I have my Bible back? And so after a few weeks of this little process, she says, I know why you want your Bible back right before we walk into the church. And, she, and I'm like, well, why do you think that? She's like, you want everybody to know that you brought your Bible. And I was like, absolutely, I want credit for it. <laughs> if I'm gonna do it, I want the credit for it. It's being a, a visible hypocrite. I'm doing this not because it's right. I'm doing it out in front of you, not just because that's where I should do it. I'm doing it because I want you to notice me doing it. There's the judgmental hypocrite. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus reminds us, all of us, but specifically the hypocrites, listen, don't try to pull a speck out of somebody else's eye if you have a whole log hanging out of your eye. And there's the hollow hypocrite. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says to a group he refers to as hypocrites, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is those of us today, we're just going through the motions. We don't mean it. It's not an offering to God. Just in cruise control today. And have been in cruise control for quite a long time. Alarm went off at the same time it goes off Sunday morning. Got the kids dressed in their clothes. Got ourselves dressed in the three shirts that us men wear to church. We just rotate them and hope nobody notices. <laughs> Got in the car, drove the same roads at the same time, parked in the same space in the parking lot, did the same routine once we got into the church. 
don't really mean it, just going through the motions. We honor him with our lips, we honor him with our actions, but our hearts are far from him. That's a hollow hypocrite. Let's take all of that and let's look at James chapter one, just one verse today, so simple. James chapter one, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. Three things I'd love for you to write down before we leave today. The first one, our hypocrisy is dangerous because it is disobedience. Our hypocrisy is dangerous because it is disobedience. What's James saying? That we can't claim to be pious if we don't control our tongue. Now James, all the way through his letter, you may have already picked up on this, he saves his harshest words for those of us who claim faith in Jesus, but our life does not reflect that faith in Jesus. He, he saves his harshest treatment for those of us who, who say we've been saved, we've been changed, we've been born again, but that new life has not worked its way out in every corner of our life. So he's talking about controlling our tongues here, but really he could replace it with many things because he does throughout the book, right? In chapter two, verses one through seven, he says to us, we can't claim to be pious if we're gonna show favoritism to people, if we're gonna favor certain people here at church because they're rich and they have wealth, but we deny that same favor to the poor person, that doesn't uh, line up. And, And he speaks to that just as he's speaking to the tongue here. In chapter two, verse 14, he's gonna say, what good is our faith if we don't give to those who are in need? We just say nice religious platitudes to people, but we don't actually give them what their bodies and their lives need. What good is our faith? He's gonna talk about that same idea in chapter three. He's gonna tell us that we shouldn't be critics and we shouldn't be judges of one another. It doesn't make sense with the claims of our faith in Jesus. In chapter five, he's gonna tell us who have resources, which all of us do in this room. He's, saying, he's gonna tell us we shouldn't take advantage of those without resources just because we have. It doesn't make any sense with our claim to be pious. So he's talking about the tongue here, but we're gonna save that discussion because in chapter three, he's gonna give a whole treatment to it. But we're gonna talk about the idea that we can't claim to be religious, we can't claim to be pious without actually following through. You know, look at verse 19. These are our verses from last week. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's a pretty big accomplishment if you can pull that off. If you can be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's pretty amazing. And then he takes it a little bit further. Verse 21, rid yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. So big requests. Big requests. And then what's he say in light of these big requests? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So he's saying, I know I made some big requests. Be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to hear and rid yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, but be doers of the word. There should be action of obedience in us if we are going to claim to be pious, to be religious. Of course, you know 
Disobedience is dangerous. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, we fall short of the glory of God when there's sin in our lives. Even James chapter one, what does it say? It says, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to what? It gives birth to death. Disobedience is dangerous. It gives Satan an open door. So when we talk about hypocrisy, usually our main takeaway is to stop pretending. It's usually to stop giving people the impression. But I want to change that a little bit today. Obviously, stop pretending. But instead of maybe just stop pretending, what if we actually started doing? So maybe in the past, you have a friend who's uh, talking about all the scripture that they've memorized. And they're just spouting it out. Instead of talking about sports, they're talking about Habakkuk 4. And you just feel pressure in that moment. And... And you go, yeah, you know, memorizing scripture is really, you know, it's a challenge for me, but man, we got to do it because the word of God and scripture and stuff. And, uh, you know, the way I like to memorize scriptures, I like to print it all out and then laminate it and then put it in my shower. Then it doesn't get wet. And the whole time I'm taking a shower, I'm memorizing the word. And then I go to where I shave and I've got it written in Sharpie there on the markers, not erasable stuff. That's for quitters. I'm talking about Sharpie <laughs> all over the mirror, just memorizing the word. Before, our takeaway on a message about hypocrisy would be, when that happens, just don't say anything. Stop pretending that you are actually memorizing the scripture. But today, what if our takeaway was the opposite? What if we just actually started to memorize the scripture? Instead of pretending and giving everybody the impression that we read the Bible, why why don't we just do it? See, hypocrisy can only thrive in the darkness of disobedience. You can't be a hypocrite if you're actually someone who can follow through. So maybe instead of staying where we are and stop pretending, what if we just actually became who we should be? What if we were actually doers of the word? Second thing I want you to write down, our hypocrisy is dangerous because it deceives us. That's what it says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, but deceiving his heart. I love the way the NIV version puts it. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. You think that you are pious. You don't control your tongue. We deceive ourselves. So here's the process. We pretend to be righteous. People think that I am righteous. Therefore, they start treating me as righteous. They start treating you as righteous. And then maybe we start thinking that we actually are righteous. Or maybe not righteous, but maybe just good enough. I think that's where we get trapped in the cycle of hypocrisy is when we pretend people believe and when they believe, we go, well, maybe this is good enough. Maybe if people think that I'm a person who actually serves the poor, that's just as good as serving the poor. If people think that I'm a generous person, that that may be good enough. But listen, there's something better on the other side of good enough. It's where a lot of us are trapped today. We've become satisfied in specific areas of our life and we've called it good enough. We know it's not great. 
but maybe good enough. But what if it wasn't? What if good enough was robbing you of better? Not what damage does it do to other people, but what damage is it doing to you? What is our hypocrisy stealing from us on the other side of good enough? That's the trap of pretending is people actually, they don't know any better. Because just like me, you are good at hiding those bad angles. And we're good at giving off good impressions. And if people believe it, then I'm just satisfied with their perception of reality instead of reality. And it deceives us. And the last thing I want you to write down, our hypocrisy is dangerous because it doesn't work. Our hypocrisy is dangerous because it doesn't work. Look what he says. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, remember we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks, but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. I was talking with a guy earlier this week and He was telling me a story that may be familiar to you as well as you meet people and interact with them. He was saying, you know, I've been in and out of church my entire life and the church has made, you know, promises. All I've ever heard is promises. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. He said, I I tried to do some of that stuff and none of it's happened for me. It's not working. It's an incredibly frustrating place to be. And I know a lot of us are in that place. A lot of people are in that place, you know, frustrated because, man, what we read in the Bible is not what is actually happening to us. Or maybe there's somebody that you really look up to and you look at their life and you're like, man, all the, the Bible stuff, all the supernatural stuff, man, it happens to them. But what, what's my problem? You know, it never happens to me. Where's God? Why doesn't it happen to me? My, my faith is, is not working. And if I could just just real compassionately say it's probably your fault you're like that doesn't sound very compassionate if your faith is not working today it's not God's fault you know how I know that because earlier in James chapter 1 it says with him there is no variation there is no shadow that's cast by turning He has not changed since the moment that all of this was written down over a period of a thousand years by 44 different authors in different parts of the world. By the time this was being penned from that moment to this moment, he has not varied one moment. There's not been one time where he's thought, you know what, I used to do that in that day, but I want to do this in this day. I want to rob them of that because, you know, I used to do that, but I don't want to do that anymore. No, he's not varied. He's not wavered. He's not changed. So if our faith doesn't look like this, it's not him, it's me. And I can say that super compassionately again. I know that doesn't sound very compassionate, but because I've been there. I know what it's like to be this person. From the time I was 17 years old, the only thing that I wanted to do with my life was open up the word of God and proclaim it to people. Felt like I had that calling on my life. And and so when I went to college, that's what I went to college to do. Didn't know that it wasn't as lucrative as uh, other vocations, but it's worked out just fine for me. I'm not complaining. 
That's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And when I was 17, 18 years old, I, I would just take any opportunity that anybody would give me to preach. Now, you don't get very many opportunities when you know, you're 18 years old, but my pastor would arrange for me to go and preach at these really, really, really small churches in Missouri where I grew up. And so I would go, and I remember the first sermon that I ever preached was about the prodigal son. I'd be super embarrassed to hear it uh, today. It would make me cringe uh, because I took 30 minutes worth of information and I jammed it into a span of about 13 minutes. And so it was like somebody turned the dial and then pushed the button and it was like all the way through and then it was, it was over. But I remember right before I left that night, somebody pulled me aside and said, God is gonna use you someday. And that felt really, really great. 19, 20, 21 years old, I'd go and preach to anybody who would listen. I'd go to the square in our hometown and strike up conversations with people. I'd get in my little car and I'd drive to Illinois and different parts of Missouri and Oklahoma and Kansas and speak to 10 people if that's what the opportunity was. And almost every time, right before I walked out the door, somebody would pull me aside and say, God is gonna use you someday 21 turned into 25 and crowds got a little bit bigger not much a little bit bigger I got a little bit better same thing right before I leave God is going to use you someday by the time I'm in my late 20s even better than I was in my mid 20s more polished a little bit more life on my bones a little bit more to say Still that same thing. God is gonna use you someday. Got to be 28 or 29. It was about a year before we started the church. Preaching to probably the biggest group I had ever preached to and one of the best messages that I had ever preached in my own opinion. Just the best that I could do. I don't know if in your job you're like, I don't have more than that. That was it. That was my A game. And if my A game isn't good enough, I'm out of luck because there's nothing else in there and, uh, and just gave it my all. And when I left, all I had in my hands was again, man, God is gonna use you someday. The next day I was at work, it was Monday, sitting in my office, it's about lunchtime and I'm thinking through the events of the previous day and how I did everything I knew to do. I prayed and I studied the scripture and I polish that thing up and I put in the right amount of stories so you could breathe and then it would be heavy and then you could breathe and then it could be heavy and then it would be this question and this question would be answered just as best as I know to do and I preached my guts out and I raised my voice some and I lowered my voice some. I did everything that I knew to do and still all I had in my hands was God is going to use you someday and so I grabbed my little Bible and I walked out to this little side yard right outside of my office and I just had my Bible and I started walking in a big circle in that little yard just saying to God I want someday to be today I'm so tired of waiting on this amazing future moment when you are gonna use me to change the trajectory of somebody's life, to build in spiritual maturity, to see somebody healed when the word of God is open and when I pray for them. I'm so tired of someday being in my future. I want someday to be today. And I just walked in the circle and just poured out my guts right there for just about 20 minutes and I went back in. 
The next day, about lunchtime, grabbed my little Bible, walked back out into that yard, started walking in a circle. God, if you're gonna use anybody, use me. If you're looking for a volunteer, I'm standing at the front of the line. Surely there's not anybody who wants this more than I do. And I'm confessing every possible sin. I'm confessing sins I didn't even commit. (laughs) About 20 minutes. If you're going to use anybody, use me. I want someday to be today. The next day, grab my little Bible. Walked in a circle. Next day, little Bible. Bigger circle. The leaves had kind of moved from the circle. Grass was starting to get beat down. And every day for about a year, I walked in that same circle. I don't want someday, I want today. And somehow in the back half of that year, something began to shift, something began to change. It stopped being, man, God is gonna use you someday to God use you today, and here's how. We want a faith that works. We want our lives to look like what we read in the scripture. It's not a magic formula. It's but be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his own face in the mirror and when he sees himself, he goes away and and right away he forgets what kind of man he is. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, Day after day after day, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts. That man, that person, that woman will be blessed in what he does. If you have a faith that doesn't seem to be working, God has not changed. He has not moved. He has not varied. He has not wavered. The problem is not him, it's me. The problem is not him, it's you. And for most of us, we're pretenders of the word, not doers of the word. We're impressionists of the word, not doers of the word. So if there's somebody that you look to and you're like, I want my life to be just like their life, then start doing the things that they do. If you read in here about the power and the miracle and the faith, of the early saints. And you're like, God, I want my life to be just like their life, then do the things that they do. It's not rocket science, which is a good thing because I'm not a rocket scientist. And except for maybe a few of you, you aren't either. Let's be doers of the word, not pretenders. So let's stop hypocrisy today Yes, because it does affect other people. But let's stop hypocrisy today because it's robbed you and I 
of what God has actually desired for us. There's something better on the other side of good enough. So let's stop wounding ourselves with the self-inflicted danger of hypocrisy. I want to pray for all of us in just a second, but just as a confession before God, eyes are closed in the spirit of prayer. If you recognize today that there's gaps of hypocrisy where you've given impressions that you, your life can't actually back up, or you would look at your life and go, you know what, my faith isn't working the way that it should, the way that I want it to, the way I desire. It seems kind of useless right now. And I want to make a change. I want to stop pretending and I want to start doing. I want to be a doer of the word and not a pretender only. Would you just again, eyes are closed. Nobody's going to look around, but just raise your hand before God. This is my confession. I have my hand raised in case anybody's feeling self-conscious. I don't want to be a pretender of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. And if that's you today, I'm praying this and you just amen along with me in your soul. Father, forgive me of my hypocrisy. I recognize it has robbed me of the powerful and effective faith you desire for me. Jesus, I stand underneath your grace, which you purchased for me with your sinless life, offered on the cross and raised on the third day. I follow you, Jesus, out of hypocrisy and into abundant life. Holy Spirit, apply to me now the power of Jesus' name. You have given me everything I need for life and godliness, and I will walk in it today. So God, we turn from hypocrisy, we turn from pretending, and we turn towards doing. We turn towards a pure and sacred religion. You've been in the same spot the whole time. So we'll look for you there in those original places. Let this word be effective. Let it be living and active. I pray it would go home with us. It would make the long journey of the doors to the parking lot, the parking lot to our car and our car to our home. Let us carry this word to the places we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're gonna finish today with the sharing of communion, the Lord's Supper, and those of who are helping serve would come and grab their places now. There's nothing more pure than what we're getting ready to partake in. The people of God coming around the table of Jesus, the broken body, and the shed blood. And for all of us hypocrites, and I see a bunch of them out there, and I see one right here on the stage. We can be forgiven and we can be offered something better because of what we're taking today. The body of Jesus crushed for our transgression. The blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sin. So as you come to the Lord's table today, you come filled with faith. 
knowing that the blood and the body can change your life. The blood and the body can move you from just being a talker to a doer. The blood and the body can bring you from death to life. The blood and the body can bring you from sickness to health. So whatever you have the faith for today, have the faith to believe in the body and the blood of Jesus. So God, we pray that you would make this time holy as we share these most sacred elements. We don't do this out of habit and we don't just go through the motions today. Out of reverence, out of reverence, we share from your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.